an elderly woman, and she approached this small country church, and uh, there was a lovely, uh, helpful, warm greeter there to help her up the stairs into the church, not much unlike the stairway into the church that I grew up in. And uh, they got to the top of the stairs, and the usher kind of patted the elderly woman's arm and said, where would you like to sit? And she said, I would like to sit in the front row. And the usher kind of looked at her and he said, oh, ma'am, he said, you, you really don't want to sit in the front row. He said, our, our pastor is really quite boring. And uh, the, the elderly woman looked at, the, looked at the usher kind of with some disgust on her face and said, do you know who I am? And he said, no, I don't. She said, I'm the pastor's mother. <laughs> and he said, oh, uh, do you know who I am? And she said, no. And he said, good. <laughs> Um, I, don't think, I don't think God's Word ever gets boring. Uh, God's Word never gets boring, and I hope that I don't ever get boring as I bring the messages to you as well. But I know and, uh, that it can be tough uh, sometimes when you go through a whole book of the Bible like we are going through the entire book of Galatians. And, and I just, those of you who are here, those of you who have been here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I just want to say thank you to you. For, for sticking with us in the midst of, of sort of the same thing. You know, it's different going through a book than it is going through a, a topical series. You know, a, a topical series, you might, you might come and you might kind of look at what the future holds in the series and you may think, well, um, the next week is on worry and yeah, I really, man, I really need to hear that. And the next one is, is on anger. Yeah, I really need to hear that. Well, when, you, when you're going through a book, unless you're really studying hard right along with us, you don't really know kind of what you're going to get on a Sunday morning. And I appreciate, I just want to tell you, um, I appreciate your faithfulness in coming and, and working through this book of Galatians with us because I think it is a very, very important book. Uh, and today what we have is a third argument of three in chapter four of the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Ty did an excellent job showing us Paul's argument or his plea, if you will, that surrounded the fact that in Jesus Christ, we are sons. Um, we are adopted into his family. We are heirs of the promise. Verse 7 of chapter 4 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. And this was a very practical argument. Now, I know there are some of you sitting here thinking, well, oh yeah, well, I'm a, I, I'm a daughter. I'm not a son. Paul says son, but I'm a daughter. Now, I, you know, Paul really means all of us there. Okay? Um, and, and before all of you ladies, you know, you get kind of bent out of shape about the times in the Bible where it says sons or mankind, I want you to know that, that there are those times also when we as God's people are referred to as the bride of Christ. So the men kind of, you know, when they read that, it's like, really, I'm a bride? It, it just all evens out, okay? I, that, that, that's all I'm saying about that. Um, then in Second Look, if you watch Second Look, the video on our church website that takes a second look at the passage or the, the message from last Sunday, um, this week on the website, uh, we saw that Paul um, is appealing to the Galatians' sentiment. He, he's talking in the middle of chapter 4 about how they joyously sacrificed for Paul. Paul had this sickness, he had this ailment, and he was sort of a hardship on people. Yet, yet in their joy in Christ, they, they bent over backwards to help him. They sacrificed greatly for him, and, and they were very joyful. 
And he points out in his argument that, that they're beginning to slide back into bondage. They've experienced freedom. They have freedom in Christ, but they're beginning, listening to the Judaizers, they're beginning to slip back into bondage. They're returning to living in the flesh. Verse 9 of chapter 4, turning back to those weak and miserable principles. Um, in verse 10, by observing special days and months and seasons and years. Paul's saying, you're, you're going back into bondage, don't do it. He's very concerned about them. Paul loves these people. In verse 19, Paul refers to them as his dear children. He cares for them deeply. And he wants what's best for them. And he sees the danger of their living in the flesh instead of living by faith. In fact, it's a matter of freedom versus slavery. It's freedom versus slavery, which is the third argument that he uses in chapter 4. And this one is an allegorical argument. Paul takes a real-life historical event that happened uh, years and years and years ago, and he, says, and he uses it as an illustration for what is happening in the lives of the Galatians. And, I would argue, in the lives of us at times as well. It's what happens when we get wrapped up in our flesh and we lose sight of faith in Christ. Paul continues to argue his point. Now, the Galatians are a group of churches. These are people in these churches that Paul planted as a missionary in this large area called Galatia. And, and since they have received Christ, since these churches were planted by Paul, these teachers, these Judaizers, as he calls them, are coming in and they're teaching something different. They're false teachers. They're le trying to lead them astray. They're contradicting Paul's original message. Now, I heard Tim Keller this week describe it this way, and, and I, just, I just love this. It makes it very simple, very quick, very easy. It's going to be up on the screen. Simply stated, the false teachers are saying three things. One, two, three. First of all, they're saying, you need to believe in Jesus. Second of all, they're saying, you need to obey the law of God. Okay? And if you do one and two, then you will be saved. Okay? That's what the Judaizers are saying. That's what those religious leaders from Jerusalem are saying. Believe in Jesus Christ, obey the law of God, and you will be saved. But Paul is saying this. He's saying, first, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in Him. Number two, you will be saved. And number three, as a result of your salvation, you will obey the law. That's what Paul is saying. Those are different. And it's a very important distinction that we get those in the right order, isn't it? These false teachers were saying that belief and obedience go together and they result in salvation. Paul is saying, no, belief and salvation go together and the result is obedience. Now, is there anyone in this room, anyone in this room ever been a slave? Raise your hand. Now, I actually had some people at first service raise their hands. Um, because, because they were thinking, well, yeah, I've been sold at a slave auction before. You know, I, I, I've been a slave for a day. No, that's not the kind of slave that, that I'm talking about. I'm talking about being taken outside your will, chained and caged, and only released under close supervision in order to do what your master has lined up for you to do day after day after day after day after day. And there are people in our country that lived life that way with really no hope of freedom. None. Until along came a president who was willing to do the hard thing and to push people in the direction that they needed to go. And they did, they did receive that freedom. 
But you think about that slavery. That wouldn't be much fun, would it? That is the kind of thing that Paul is talking about here, that we are, if we try to live our life under the law, unto salvation. Now, other parts of slavery are mistreatment of the slave, um, probably some coercion there. There's a lot of shame involved in, in commanding over another human being beyond their own will and decision. Now, there's something that we need to understand about these Galatians. These Galatians were pagans. They were pagans. They, they lived their lives in some pretty obnoxious ways. And, and one of the things that I heard this week that they did was they, they, they valued boy children and not girl children. And so about one in every ten female child would survive being born into the culture of the Galatians in their area. One in ten. I don't know why, but they valued men more than women. So what they would do is if they had a child and it was a girl and they didn't want that baby, they would just set it outside of their house in the street to die. In fact, there was a letter that was uncovered from a father to a husband to a wife in this time period. And he was going off on a trip, and what he said to his wife in this letter was, I realize that while I'm gone that you may give birth. And he said, I just want to remind you that if you give birth to a daughter, you are to throw her out. That is this pagan culture. There are other things we could talk about, but it's unnecessary. This is what these people are being saved from. When, when they experience forgiveness and grace that Jesus Christ offers them and they recognize that they no longer need to feel shame in their life because of some of the things that they've done in their life. There's this incredible sense of joy and freedom. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? And so what these Judaizers were doing is they're coming back in uh, after Paulie's, they're coming in the back door and they're shaming these people into to believing that there's something else they have to do in order to be saved. And, and these would be easy people to shame. Because, because they, know that, they know their guilt. Have you ever felt that way as well? Those times when, when you know your guilt, you know what you have done is wrong. And you lose sight of this incredible grace and forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. And you begin to somehow grasp that into your own life and think, how can I get rid of this myself? And there is no way that we can do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. Shame is included. Now, you may be thinking, but Pastor Dave, there isn't slavery today. I mean, in my experience in southeastern Wyoming and western Nebraska and wherever you are listening online, you, there isn't slavery, but I would say that you're wrong. There is slavery, and slavery in the spiritual sense, slavery in the realm of the church is called legalism. It's called legalism, and the message of these verses is dead on for many people today, especially people that are very religious. According to verse 21, it is addressed to those who desire to be under the law, and there are many people today who fit into that category. Three weeks ago, Pastor Michael was up here, and he gave a, a testimony of somebody that he had, been talked, uh, that he had led to Jesus Christ um, in a convenience store. They were working behind the counter. 
And he had this incredible conversation with them. And, and he talked about how he remembered growing up in a church and back on the back wall was posted a list of rules. And, and that list of rules was you do this, you do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. And it, if you don't do those things or you do do those things you shouldn't, then you're not saved. You're not a Christian. The Bible doesn't say that. That's legalism. That is legalism and it leads to slavery. It leads to bondage. I had someone ask me one day if I was a very religious person. I said, oh, absolutely, I'm a religious person. I brush my teeth religiously. I take a shower religiously. And trust me, my family's happy that I do take a shower religiously. You see, my... It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a, a set of rights and rules and, and laws that I follow each day. There, there, and there's incredible freedom in that. Now, we're going to talk about the balance of that in the coming weeks um, as we begin looking at what it looks like to walk in that freedom. And, and I hope, again, that you, you stick with us to the very end of, of this book study that we're in. Um, but there are many religious people in our world today. Um, some are a part of a cult. Um, Muslims and Mormons and Sikhs and Buddhists. And then there are some that may even be found in our church right here. Not Judaizers, but people who are very legalistic. Who imagine that the way to God is by the observance of certain rules. And Paul is arguing against that. There are even professing Christians who have turned the gospel into a, a law. They believe that their relationship to God depends on their strict adherence to, re, to regulations and traditions and ceremonies. And that just leads them into bondage. Now, Paul continues in his plea, uh, in his love and concern for the Galatians. Uh, he wants them to experience joy, not bondage. So let's look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Tell me, all you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively. For the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And you kind of read that and you go, what? Well, let's look at what Paul is saying in the illustration that he is making. There's three stages that he's going through in this in this argument, in this paragraph. The first is historical. He gives some history. Then, then he goes into some allegory or some figurative language. And then the third is a, is a personal address to us. 
And, and so let's, let's take a look at those three things. First of all, what is this history that Paul is talking about? The history that Paul is talking about to these people concerns Abraham and his wife Sarah and Sarah's servant, Hagar. You see, back in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abraham. God said, Abraham, you know what? I'm going I'm to raise up from you a nation. Your descendants are going to be more than the stars in the sky, more than the sands on the beach. Uh, your family is going to be incredible. And I'm going to give you a son. That's going to start this whole process. So Abraham's like, sweet, i got this promise. And then after the first year, he's like, okay, God, now it's time for the promise, right? And then another year goes by, and then another year goes by, and another year goes by. And nothing. And, and Abraham's looking at his wife, and, and he's going, ah, man, I don't know if Sarah's going to be able to have a child. She's getting kind of old. And finally, he and Sarah get to talking about this, and they decide, you know what? Um, we need to take this into our own hands. God made the promise. And Abraham and Sarah decide that God's not going to fulfill the promise, so we need to fulfill this promise ourselves. And so what they agree to do is uh, Sarah agrees to give her servant Hagar to Abraham. He will sleep with her and have a child, and that child will then become his legal heir, which was normal for the day. Okay, If you, as a wife, you were barren, which was a shameful thing to be, not to not have a child in that culture. If you were barren... And, and there was no son, no child to further the, the line, the family line. They would take a servant of the wife and give to the husband. And he would have a child and that child would be the legal heir. So that's what they did. And Hagar got pregnant and she gave birth to a son and they named him Ishmael. And things didn't work out so well, did they? Um, things got really messy. Things got really messy in their lives. In, in fact, God uh, comes back on the scene eventually. Moses, or, uh, Abraham's in his 90s. And he says, you know what, Abraham? I'm going to fulfill this promise that I gave you. I promised it. I'm going to do it. And you know what Abraham did? He laughed. He fell on the ground and he laughed. Because he's looking at his wife. No, I'm sorry, ladies, but he's looking at his wife. And he's saying, there ain't no way. She's too old. She wouldn't survive. And she's not going to get pregnant anyway. She's been barren for 80 plus years. But what happened? She got pregnant. She had a son. She survived. And they named him Isaac. There you have the two sons. And Paul is saying, these two sons represent the two covenants. These two sons represent the two covenants. So let's look at the allegorical. That's the historical. Let's look at the allegorical. The first two points in your notes represent the allegorical. Verse 24, these things may be taken figuratively. Some of your translations say allegorically, which just means one aspect of, of, of the uh, historical event is going to be represented as something else. For the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. So point number one is Hagar equals slavery. He's saying Hagar, Hagar and slavery are the same. Hagar is representative of what happens when you base your life on the law. We become strapped and in bondage to it. And I think Paul has been very clear all along in the first three and a half chapters to tell us what the difference is between the law and grace and faith. 
And just like the situation with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, this school of thought, the way of living our lives is flesh-based. It's flesh-based. Abraham and Sarah decided that God's not going to fulfill His promise, so we've got to do this ourselves. And that's exactly what we do often. We say, God, why aren't you doing something? And, I, and we take things into our own hands and, and we do it our way. I mean, and that's us just simply taking the place of God. If God has promised you something, you need to just trust Him for it. No matter what circumstances are happening, just they're going to they're change, they're going to come and go. Just continue to trust Him for that promise. Abraham and Sarah didn't, and look what happened. It created a big mess. And we often become dead set on justifying ourselves. You know, we, we sort of, we think there, there's some way that I have to prove myself to God. And, and by doing this, by going to church every Sunday, or by, by whatever the, that list of things that you have in your head are, you think that somehow that's going to elevate you in the mind of God. And it's not. It's just putting you in bondage. It's not a good thing for us to live our lives according to our flesh. And if this is you, if you have fallen into some lifestyle of self-justification and a lack of trust in your Father and your Savior Jesus Christ, don't you think it's time to set those things aside? It's time to take those handcuffs off and live in the freedom that Christ offers. It's time to set aside and, and trust in the only one who has the power to save us. Jesus Christ, the only one who has the power and sovereignty to keep your life and mine heading in the right direction. Look at verse 25. Now Hagar, Paul says, stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. So uh, he refers to Mount Sinai, which is the law. What happened on Mount Sinai? They received the law. And what's the purpose of the law? To reveal sin. To reveal sin. To stir it up inside of us. You know, I, I don't know, it's, I think it's been three weeks I gave the illustration of the sediment bulb in a diesel engine on a combine and how that's used to, uh, the fuel runs through it and the, the impurities in the fuel settle to the bottom of that sediment bulb and the fuel runs onto the engine. Uh, and, and how the law does quite the opposite of that. Um, that is to settle the impurities down and to hold them there. And what we often do with our sin is the same thing. We hope that they'll just kind of settle down in the bottom of our life and nobody will notice or they won't really affect anything that we're doing and, and we want to just hide them and keep them there. But what God does, when God gave the law, He took that sediment bulb and He shook it up. It's to reveal that sin in your life and in mine. Uh, I, uh, I mentioned my brother who, for those of you who weren't here when I gave that illustration, my, my brother Dennis was combining for my dad and he fueled the combine and then left the fuel cap off of the, off of the combine and then combined for the rest of the day. And the fuel tank on this particular combine is on the back and so the straw spreaders were flipping straw into the into the fuel tank all day long until the f combine, until that sediment bulb finally got full, so full of junk that it wouldn't let any, junk, any fuel go by anymore and the combine died. And then when he investigated to find out what happened, he was 
somewhat disappointed, um, to put it lightly. Well, I mentioned, I saw him. Actually, that Sunday that, that I gave that illustration, I saw him and said, hey, I was talking about you in church this morning. He said, oh yeah, what? And I, I, I told him about that. And he said, you know, I, I remember that. He said, I can remember combining at 11 o'clock at night and the combine just less power and less power. And so he said, I'd have to get out and go back and shut the machine off and go back and dump that sediment bulb. And he said, the crazy thing is that was a full year after it happened. He said, over and over and over again, I had to clean that sediment bulb out. That's, that's the purpose of the law. To stir up that sin in us so we'll deal with it. So we won't just let it be there. And we need to deal with it. But if we, if we think of the law and, and our purpose is to obey the law unto salvation, then it's not going to give us freedom, only bondage. And that's not the way we must live. Paul says that the law corresponds to, this, to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. They're believing the one, two, three of the Judaizers. And, and they're lost. And they're going to have this rude awakening when they get to the other side of this life. And, and that's the practice of Judaism. They, they continue to press everyone and teach that in order to really be saved, you must be a Jew in practice. If you can't be a Jew by race, then, then for sure you have to be a Jew in practice. Oh yeah, you, you can believe in Jesus Christ, we do too, but you have to do these things, and if you don't do these things, you can't be saved. Right now, um, the Muslim world is in the middle of Ramadan, their holy time. And one of our, Megan Strong, one of our kids from North Hills, is a missionary in North Africa to the Muslims, and she said it is absolutely miserable right now. She said it is as hot or hotter as it is here. And, and, and the way that they practice their holy period is during the, the day, from sunrise to sunset, nothing can touch their lips. Not food, not water, nothing. That's one of their laws. How freeing is that? They're, they're in bondage to something that's not going to save them. Um, that's the way that they practice it. And the Judaizers had their own version. And of course, a Muslim, um, they practice all of these things and they obey all the laws and then they hope that Allah will see fit to save them. There's no guarantee. There's no assurance of salvation. There's, there's nothing in their writings like we have in our Bible that says, I'm telling you this so that you may know that you are saved. Now, if you don't know anything about Islam, it's important, I think, as Christians to know some things about Islam and what it is and what it is not. Um, this week's second look, which again is a, is a video, there's a link on our, on our homepage, of the church website. It's in your bulletin. You can go there. You can watch it. Um, and Pastor Ty goes over the ten things every Christian should know about Islam. I think it would be very good if all of you went home and watched that. Ten things that every Christian should know about Islam. So, they're saying, believe in Jesus Christ, the Judaizers. Obey the law of God, and then you will be saved. But as Christ's followers, Paul says, we're like Isaac. We're children of the promise. So number two, Sarah equals freedom. And the freedom that we have is promise-based. It's promise-based. Jesus says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have every everlasting life. That's a promise. 
Those that believe in Him will have everlasting life. Your salvation and my salvation, it's promise-based, not flesh-based. Romans 5, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, The law was added so that the trespass might increase, so that you are ever aware of it. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life through the following of the rites and the ceremonies of the rituals? No! Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our faith in Christ is promise-based. It's nothing we can work for ourselves. And then Paul talks about the Jerusalem above. What, what does he mean by the Jerusalem above? Well, he's referring to heaven. He's, re- he's referring to the supernatural Jerusalem. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. Freedom is found in her, not bondage as they're experiencing in the earthly Jerusalem right now, Paul says. Our citizenship as believers is in the Jerusalem above. So Sarah equals freedom, and that freedom is promise-based. It is the Jerusalem above, and it is, and I'm just going to say it this way, it's Christianity. That's Christianity. It's one, believe Jesus Christ. Two, you will be saved. And three, as a result, you will obey God's law. So historically speaking, Paul reminds us that true freedom is found in living by faith, not of the flesh. And that lines up exactly with what, what a brilliant man. I mean, you, you think about the illustration, you think about the historical events of, of Abraham and, and, and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael and Hagar, and you think, wow, that, yeah, live, live by the flesh, live by the promise. Where do you want to be? I want to live by promise. I want to live by promise. So, uh, we certainly don't have to live in bondage because number three, in Christ, we are no longer slaves, but we're sons. And there's three applications as we close this morning. The first is this. We are children of promise. As a Christ follower, you are a child, you are a child of the promise. Now, there are many promises in Scripture and we simply need to trust God for them. It's easy to get impatient. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to say, God, you have left me high and dry here. He has not stopped working. Trust me. It's in His timing. It's in His timing. I mean, Adam, Abraham and Sarah, they thought, God left us high and dry. We're getting old. We're going to have to take care of this ourselves. But if you think about that, and you think about all those other situations in the Old Testament that we went through months and months ago where, where God puts people in positions where they, they can't possibly do it on their own. There's no way. Why? So they would recognize that it's a work of God. There was no doubt when Sarah had a son, that it was a work of God. Maybe, maybe this week you need to look up and meditate on some of His promises. You need to find them. Meditate on those promises. See, God has the timing. He has the plan. We're not necessarily privy to all of that. I'm not sure we would even be happy if we were privy to all of that. If God told you, you know what? I have the perfect woman for you, you young men in the room. I have the perfect woman for you. Wait five years. And she'll be there. What are you, you're going to complain for that whole five years. Come on, Lord, let's speed this up a little bit. Five years is too long. It's all in His timing. But as we wait, we can trust in our good and powerful Father. As Ty talked last week, our Abba, our Abba Daddy, and our Holy 
reverent Father. We are children of promise. The second is the fact that we will face persecution. Look at verses 28 and 29. 28 says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, and that, and that the time the son born in the ordinary way, or some of your uh, translations might say of the flesh, persecuted the son born of the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. It is the same now. We need to expect persecution. As a follower in Jesus Christ, you need to expect it. It's going to come. And that's normal. Um, the NFL season is almost upon us, and, and I can't wait. I, I'm just a sports fan. I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to apologize for it, um, but I'm sorry. I, I am. Um, somebody gifted Sarah and I some tickets to a Rockies game, and, uh, you know, I'm not the, the f- super fan baseball, but if it's a sport and I have a ticket, I'll go, right? Um, we were walking up the steps to, in the stadium on Friday, and there's this, this mom tugged, um, towing her little boy, and he couldn't have been more than four. Oh, you say two or three? Well, he was talking, so I was thinking, well, you know, maybe four. And, uh, and uh, she was having this conversation with him, and she was saying, no, we're not going to a football game, we're going to a baseball game. And I said, oh, football, you said the word. I said this out loud, and started this conversation with her, and I'm like, I can't wait to, for the football season. And she said, he can't either. In fact, she said, he thinks we're going to see the Broncos right now. He is going to be sorely disappointed. I've tried to tell him, and it was just really cute. Um, but, but the football season is almost upon us. And uh, at least today, I, I'll try not to do this in the future. Uh, I apologize to Ty um, out loud. Is that you accept my apology for this illustration? Ty gets tired when I talk about Tim Tebow too much, okay? Uh, and, and, and this is a situation that happened a couple years ago when he was with the Broncos. You either loved him or you hated him, you know? He's a great guy. He's a terrible football player. Uh, fine, you know, we could argue that till the cows come home. Um, but there were these two ESPN analysts were talking about Tim Tebow, and one of the guys was complaining about how all of the people were being so hard and persecutorial against Tim Tebow for his faith. You know, he said he's a great guy and, and he, he is who he is. He, you know, he lives his faith. That's just who he is. And he was like, it's unfair that all of these people are talking bad about him because of that. And the other guy, if you know anything about sports announcers, this was Stephen A. Smith said this. Stephen A. Smith looks across the table and says, are you kidding me? Do you know what you're saying? And then Stephen A. Smith quotes Jesus in John 16:33, where Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, it's to be expected. This is not unusual. This is normal. This is, this is what people do. You shouldn't complain about it. You should just recognize that it's going to happen and stand up against it when it does. I, I could not believe those words were coming out of Stephen A. Smith's mouth. But we shouldn't be surprised, and, and don't be surprised. If you're living for Jesus Christ, there's going to be some, there's going to be some persecution. There's going to pe- be some people that say, oh, it's just a crutch for you, or there's going to pe- be people say that you're just weak-minded, you don't really have intelligence. Well, baloney. It just ain't true. As we seek to live by faith in the freedom that's found in Christ, we will face persecution. So let's remember the whole verse, John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You know, you may be sitting here this morning and there isn't a whole lot of peace in your life. 
write down John 16, 33, and go to that and read what Jesus says before that. And think about those things, because Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And he's the only one that can. Let's put our faith and trust in him. Which brings us to our last application point, and that's let's live by faith, not by flesh. Let's live by faith, not by flesh. Um, you know, I, I, I've been helping my brother-in-law, actually, with some farming and got to run a combine last week. And, oh, it was fun. <laughs> I don't know how many times I told him that uh, over and over. I said, Did, have I told you yet today that this is really fun? Um, but, but the first night we went, and we could have gone a couple days earlier, we found out with the dryness of the wheat, but the first night we went, we got rained out. You know, it's just being a farmer. For all of you in here who aren't farmers, it's tough. You pray for rain, you pray for rain, you pray for rain, but not today. I don't want it this day, or I don't want it this day, you know? You just have to take it when it comes, right? I mean, you just praise the Lord when it comes, and praise the Lord when it doesn't, when you don't want it to. I... I, um, Anyway, I was frustrated, and I was talking to another friend of mine who, um, just really good friend, and we, we've done a lot of things together, and he said, I was venting my frustration of having to quit early, and, you know, we could have, if we'd have gone the night before, we could have probably gone all night long, because there was no dew, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He said, you know, in my devotion this morning, and I can't remember, I can't remember the passage, I didn't look it up, but it was in First Corinthians somewhere. He said, David, he said, I just read this morning, uh, Paul talking about how we need to be concerned about the kingdom of God and about Jesus Christ and we need to not be so worried about the things of this world. He said that wheat is the thing, a thing of this world. Don't worry about it. It's going to come out. And it did. And, and I want to remind us this morning, don't live, by, don't live by the flesh. Live by faith. Seek first the kingdom of God. All this other stuff is going to work itself out in God's time. In God's time. Don't live by the flesh. Live in faith. Trust in Him. Trust in His promises. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for this day. Thank You for this message. And Lord, I pray that we have been encouraged, that we have been challenged. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who is living by a, a set list of rules or rites or ceremonies or, or dates, God, I pray that You would help them to see that uh, although there may be some of those things that, Lord, You, you want us to obey, but Lord, if, if they have put those things in front of faith and they're trying to live by flesh, I pray that you would help them to see that. And Lord, if there's anybody here who just today recognizes that they have been living a legalistic or uh, trying to get to heaven somehow on their own and that it is simply their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would help them today to believe in their heart and to confess with their mouth that you are Lord that you are the Messiah and that they would be saved today. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for, for what you have for us in this community. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to grow uh, in you together, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to those who don't know it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we close our service here this morning, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to take up our morning offering. And uh, if you're a